0: And this morning you would have seen from the notice sheet as you came in that, um, that today we're, we're carrying on our series um, looking at spiritual gifts. We've been taking a gift week after week. It's been going on for quite some time because there are a lot of gifts. God, God is good. Some of the gifts are, are obvious ones and some of them are less obvious. And this week we come to the penultimate gift. It's good. It's always good. It's not good we're getting to the end of the series. I'm not saying it's, it's a relief. I'm saying that it's good that we've had, we've had teaching. We've, we've been able to stop and, and think about the gifts that we have and the way that God has blessed us and the way that we can maybe use those gifts to better, better serve him and one another. And so today, we are looking at the gift of leadership. And the passage that we've been, we've been using as a guide in the, in the recent weeks has been in Romans 12. And in Romans 12, verse 6, it says we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is, and it goes on and on and on and lists them all. um, And finally, in, in verse 8, we get, if it is leadership, let them govern diligently. If our gift is leadership, then biblically we are told to lead, to govern, diligently. Now, I don't often do this because I'm no Greek scholar, and I know that most people here don't necessarily pay much attention to, to the Greek or the Hebrew or anything, but occasionally you see a word and you think, well, why is that word there? Is that word just there because a translator has decided that's the word they feel should be there, or is it actually um, a direct translation? And the word diligently is actually a direct translation. The, the, every um, Greek um, comparison that I looked at, it shows that the, the closest word that we have in the English language to the, to the Greek word is diligently. When we do something diligently, it means that we are, we are careful, we take great care in what we do. It means that we're, we're very conscientious we want to make sure that we, we cover every aspect, that we, we do every part of the task set before us. We, we cover every detail. We're detailed in our preparation and in the execution of the task. And we put in a huge amount of effort because we, we value what we're doing. We care so much that we will go, go the extra mile to make sure that we do it well. So when we talk about Christian leadership, we need to establish, first of all, Where does it come from? A leader is one who who, who carries some sort of authority. People follow because because they see some sort of authority. Christian leadership comes from God. The authority is God's. No Christian leader has authority unless it has been granted by God. We see, don't we, in, in, uh, in Jeremiah, when he is when he is very first called to be a leader. He says in chapter 1, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah responded, Lord, I, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to speak. I'm a mere child. I can't do it. And God says, no, I I know you can't, but I can, through you. So to start with this morning, anyone that's sitting there thinking, well, it's great having a a sermon on leadership, but to be honest, Tom, you you stand up there talking, you're associate minister, you you might be classed as a leader, but I'm not. Well, actually, let's reverse that. You are, if God chooses you to be. There are people in this church who, who run all sorts of different groups and studies and initiatives and outreach and they do loads and loads of different things. And in those roles, you are a Christian leader. God has called you out, set you apart, given you authority to lead. So a sermon on leadership is relevant to every Christian Throughout scripture, we see examples of leaders who are perhaps reluctant to lead. One of the things I've I've enjoyed doing as I've prepared for today is going back and looking at some of the ways in which which leaders lead, some of the things that they do. For instance, Moses is is someone who we know was, was a reluctant leader. He wasn't a confident speaker. He pointed to his brother and said, Lord, you've got the wrong one. He's going to do a far better job. But throughout Moses' leadership, that man who we now look back and say he was, a, he was a great early Christian or early Jewish leader, throughout his leadership, he took advice. Exodus chapter 18 we see Moses taking advice from Jethro. In verse 21, it says, Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple case is they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. So immediately we see an example of delegation. Delegation is not, is not backing out. It's not stepping aside from authority and, and, and pouring it onto somebody else. Delegation is saying, I want you to share this task. I can't do it all myself. This is Moses saying to Jethro, I can't do this all by myself. So he says, fine, set apart people to, to lead other people, to, to, to take some of, the, some of the work off you that you don't need to be doing. If a church leadership try and do everything themselves, they're not going to achieve anywhere near as much as they do if they empower, they recognize the gifts in the congregation and encourage and infuse and motivate people to go out and to use those gifts. That way, God will, God will use that, they'll bless people. He will bless people. He will empower them to go out to use their gifts to, to, to bring more and more people into His kingdom. Just like the advice given to Moses, a Christian leader should never be too proud of their position to say, I can't do this, I need help, I need support, I need people to share my burden. A Christian leader should be able to empathise with those that they lead. Empathy is so, so important in our lives, in our world. I remember when I, when I was working up in a city, often there wasn't a lot of empathy. If you got given a task and you thought, have you seen my to-do list? There is no way I can get that done in the timeline. You didn't generally get an arm around the shoulder and let's, let's help you, let's talk. You got told, it's your job. If you can't do it, we'll find someone else who can. Do it. There wasn't much empathy. I'm sure some of you work in environments like that, where you think, I'm just constantly under... As soon as I feel that I'm, I'm beginning to, to get my head above the water, someone pours in another gallon, and I begin to struggle and drown again. But church should be different to that. Church should be somewhere where, where people can come in and they can be vulnerable. They can hold up their hand and say, I can't do this, I'm really struggling. And Christian leaders should be able to say... I can't imagine what you're going through. It must be terrible. How can I help? How can we as a church support you in what you're going through? How can we serve you? How can we demonstrate the love and care that Jesus showed to the people that he met to you? Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 12, Do to others what you would have them do to you. A leader should be reasonable in their demands. Shouldn't ask other people to do what they're not prepared to do. When we were asked this year by um, Churches Together Billericay to lead the Christmas Day lunch, we were asked towards the end of September and several, myself, Ian, we'd already started making plans for, for Christmas. And we said, can't commit to this. And so we then didn't feel comfortable asking the rest of the church to commit to it, to give up their Christmas, because we thought, hang on, we're not, we're asking them to do something that we're not doing ourselves. That's not right. We were very uncomfortable in that. And I think that's a a good sign. Do to others what you would have them do to you. From a leadership perspective, that's just as relevant in life as it is in any other perspective. I'm going to read from a book which I, I was given a couple of years ago. I've not got around to reading the full, full book yet, but I, I dip in every now and then, because it's, it's one of those great books that every time you, you think, um, I'm just going to dip into it, you end up reading 20 pages. It's fascinating. It's the story of um, Ernest Shackleton, the great Arctic explorer. And Shackleton, when he first set out for the South Pole... He went on this expedition, he'd raised funds, he'd been years in the planning, and he got so, so close. He got within 94 miles, which, okay, that might not sound that close, but in, in the, when you're crossing Antarctica, that's, that's, a, that's not far at all. He got so close, but on the way to the pole there have been delays. There have been severe weather storms. The, the snow and the blizzards have been awful. Um, the, the team had been struck by dysentery. they have had some terrible health problems. Um, the food that they'd taken, some of it they'd had to ditch as, um, as, as people had become too weak to drag the sleds. And um, they, were, they didn't have much to eat. They didn't have much... Um, they didn't have good health. They were really, really struggling. And he got to the point... Where Shackleton had to make a decision. And in this biography, it says, Dying gloriously like a noble warrior in Victorian melodrama was not in Shackleton's makeup. I think I'd identify with him there. <laughs> it was a critical moment when the raw survival instincts of a fighter took over from the romantic adventurer. I feel that if we go on too far, it will be impossible to get back over this surface, he wrote. And then all the results will be lost to the world. Without the responsibility of leadership, it is entirely feasible that Shackleton would have pressed on regardless. But what mattered most at this point was the welfare and safety of his team, Adams, Marshall and Wilde. I must look at the matter sensibly and consider the lives of those who are with me, he scribbled in his diary." Man can only do his best, and we have arrayed against us the strongest forces of nature. It was impossible to hide the disappointment. The only consolation was that all others would have to follow in his footsteps. It was a minor comfort, however. All this is not the pole, he's conceded. So, Despite the fact that he and his team had travelled further than anybody had ever travelled before across Antarctica, they'd got close, so close to the South Pole, he knew that others would have to beat his record before they got to the Pole. He'd achieved something incredible, but he hadn't achieved what he set out to achieve. In the diaries of the other three men with him, um, uh, Marshall, Adams and Wilde, At different points throughout the return journey, they each have a moan about him. They each say that his decision was wrong, that he showed weak leadership, that he wasn't bold enough to take the risk, to go on, to to, to find the pole, to get there and then to hell with the consequences. In their diaries, they they each have some quite cutting remarks about Shackleton, but it says here at the end of this chapter, the crucial moment was Shackleton's finely balanced decision of when to abandon the march and turn for home. In the context of a four-month journey, it was a choice made in a heartbeat. Adams, one of the, one of the team members, reckoned that the, four, that the four men would not have survived had they marched south for another hour on the morning of the 9th of January. A four-month expedition, and Shackleton made a decision at the last possible moment but it was a decision that he didn't want to make he knew that he he could go down in history the first british explorer to reach the south pole he'd he'd beaten he'd beaten the record set by other explorers he would got so far he wanted that 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 title he wanted that moment but he was a leader he empathised with those around him. He saw how, how desperately sick they were. He saw how meagre the suppliers. He knew that his decision, he, he, he might achieve his, 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 his title in history, but it would be at the cost of the lives of those that he was leading. And he wasn't prepared to do that. So despite the fact that they then had a bit of a moan at him later, he saved their lives by not following through with what he set out to achieve. He was reasonable. He was empathetic. The book actually is called By Endurance We Conquer. For some of us, that would probably feel like quite an appropriate title to our own life story. We might not feel that we achieve an awful lot. We might look around us and think, I haven't got the, the nicest car in the car park. I haven't got the nicest house on the street. I haven't got the... The best office in the building. I haven't got the biggest title. I don't earn the biggest salary. I haven't got the most perfect children. By endurance, we conquer. You see, Scripture still says that there will be a crown awaiting for us on that day when we finish the race, when we are called home to be with our Father. There will be a crown waiting for us. Because not by, not by achievement do we conquer... Not because we're going to turn up to heaven and say, hey, Lord, look, this is who I am. This is is how much I can give you. Because God says, well, it's mine already. I gave it to you. It's not by achievement we conquer. It's by endurance we conquer. So we might not be Arctic explorers, but each and every one of us suffers adversity on a regular basis in our lives. But by endurance, we conquer. A leader has to show humility. Humility. That can be a challenge. Matthew 20, verse 26. Jesus says, Whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant. Then later on he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. We are servants. A minister is a servant to the church. And it should be, a servant is not, a, it's not a, a lowly title. A servant is a title to say, I, I serve the church. We're called to serve wholeheartedly in Ephesians 6 verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving God, not man. I love that. I love that verse. Because it means that everything that we do, nothing is a chore. Because we're serving God. We're not doing it for those around us because sometimes, sometimes people can wind us up. They can annoy us. Of course they can. Ask Ian and Gary, they have to work with me. But actually, everything that we do is an opportunity to serve God, to please God, to say, God, I'm here, you tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Washing up after a service is an opportunity to serve God. I shouldn't have said that because you're all going to say to me after the service, go on in, go and serve. But you see, it is, it's true, isn't it? It's true. It's an opportunity to serve I love the fact that Kevin put the slide up at the church meeting on Wednesday of all the people that served at the Jeff Lucas evening. It wasn't just one or two people that made it happen. There was a whole team of people that gave up time to serve so that that event happened. And it was a brilliant night and the church was full and it was a great great production. We got loads out of it. But that happened because people were willing to serve. And that's leadership. It might not feel like it, but... Where no one else wants to go and pick up a cloth in, at the sink in the kitchen, but there's a job to be done. The one who does it is actually showing leadership. Godly leaders are not restricted by personal limitation. Luke eighteen twenty-seven, Jesus says, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, we know this. We hear this time and time again. God can do anything. Yes, he can. But do we really believe that? Do we really approach every, every seemingly impossible situation with an attitude that it will be okay because God can do this? Or do we approach it with an attitude that says, oh, I can't, I can't do this? We need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves that question every time we face a situation because we are the witness to the world. We are the lens through which they view Christianity. And if they look at us and, and they see that we, 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 we physically and, and emotionally and everything elsely sag when we're faced with, with adversity, if they see us, oh, no, I can't, oh, don't know how I'm going to do that, if they see us doing that, then they're going to think, well, where's your God? Your God's no good, is he? He's not, you, you, you don't, even you don't believe that he's going to be able to do all the things that you said he can do. But if instead we walk into situations that seem impossible with a can-do attitude, even if we have no idea yet, we walk in with faith. Faith that God can do anything. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus said that. We believe that. It should form our attitudes. We rely on God's strength, not our own. I can tell you, every time I stand up to preach, I've got a pit, a nervousness in the pit of my stomach. It's something that it's something I don't necessarily relish, standing up and talking in front of people. I don't see myself as, as, a, as a leader, but I believe that God can use anybody. The weakest person can be made strong through God. We've got so many people in this church who are strong. They've been made strong through God. Corinne's just led prayers for us. After everything you've been through recently, Corinne, you've just led prayers for us brilliantly. You are made strong through God. There are so many people here now who, who might look at themselves, look at what they've been through, look at uh, what's going on in their lives behind closed doors and feel in some way inadequate or insecure. But do you know what? God can make you strong. He can lift you up. He can, he can use you to achieve anything, more than you can possibly imagine. If you're prepared to rely on him and call on him and not trust in your own strength, which is limited. Leaders encourage, leaders motivate, leaders infuse. Leaders are positive and not negative. I had an example of this this, this week. We've been, um, we've been getting shoeboxes. The shoebox appeal has been going strong and we've got hundreds of things in the back room now. And it's, it's, it's great um, because I'll be sitting up... Um, up, up in the office and I would have just got started on something having having um, finished a conversation of just sit down and get started and suddenly the phone rings and normally I think oh Mary will get that and I let it ring and it carries on ringing and ringing and eventually I think oh Mary must be otherwise engaged so I pick up the phone and it's Mary <laughs> right that's why that explains that one she said hi Tom um, We've got someone here who's got 84 shoe boxes. Can you give us a hand? Now, I, 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 I've said to Mary, well, uh, many, many times, look, just call me if anyone turns up. It's not, you know, I don't want you to have to shift them all. I'll come and do it. So it's exactly the right thing. Um, but I must admit, there was a bit of me that thought, oh, I wish I hadn't picked the phone up. Oh, I've just, I've just got into the zone. I've just started my, my prep. <sighs> right, Okay. So anyway, I came downstairs and there was a a gentleman standing in a foyer and he said, hello mate, I've got um, 84 shoe boxes. And you sort of think, oh great, (laughs) brilliant, 84, right, that's another 15, 20 minutes lost. But I've got a choice then, whether to say, 84, right, okay, um, yeah, do us a favour, move your car around to the back and um, I'll, I'll open up and bring them in. If I'm honest, there was a part of me that was feeling that. But I'd just been doing some preparation for this sermon. So the whole sort of um, leadership thing was very much in my mind. And so I chose not to follow that instinct. I chose instead to say 84 Wow, that's brilliant, God dear. Right, okay, we'll cancel other plans, and um, that's great. Take your car around the back, I'll meet you in the room, and if you don't mind um, giving us a hand, we'll get them in as quickly as we can. Fantastic. Anyway, they drove around, opened the door, we started carrying them in, and there was um, a man and his wife, and there was a uh, slightly older lady in the, in the back, who he said, oh, that's my mother-in-law. And I said, oh, great, okay. We we're unloading these boxes, and I said, which organisation are you from? And he said, oh, we're just from Basildon. And I said, oh, right, okay. Um, Basildon, you know, it's not an organisation. What what, what specifically, what charity are you from or what what business or school or where where are these boxes from? And he said, oh, no, it's my my mother-in-law. I said, 84 boxes? He said, yeah. He said, every year she, she, she just starts collecting things and buying things and she fills them up and she does as many as she can during the year and then we find a depot and we come and drop them off. And this old lady got out of the car and she came round to the door and she she had a stick in one hand and she tried she was trying to lift the box and I said no no it's fine it's fine we can do that I said I said you are amazing 84 I said because of you 84 children that otherwise would have had nothing on christmas day are going to get a present this year I said that's staggering and she smiled And she smiled, and in that moment, I was so grateful to God that he'd made me answer that phone, that he'd made me get over my own inability to organise my time, that he'd made me put my own prep to one side and to go and to focus on the person. Jesus focused on people. In that smile, that lady made my day. The fact that she gave so much for those children, selflessly. The facts that they'd driven all the way from Basildon to, to come and because she wanted to give them to a church. She wanted to go through a church. There are centres in Basildon, but she wanted to bring them to a church. And I just said, oh, God bless you. Thank you. And off they went. And that's really struck me this week. You see, she left glowing because someone from the church had come out and said what I said. And it was, it was just words. But to her, it meant so much. And yet for me, the other way around, it was just words. But I felt so blessed at being able to help to carry those boxes in and know that they'll be put back on a van next week and taken out to wherever they get taken and used to bring joy to a child. We have these opportunities to show Christian leadership. Christian leadership is not, is not standing at the front saying, look at me. Christian leadership is saying, I'm going to go and do. I'm going, to go and, I'm going to go and use the right words, do the right thing, go to the right place, share with the right people. I'm going to carry Jesus with me. I'm going to share him with those that I meet. I'm going to get over myself. I'm going to ignore my own limitations. I'm going to forget my own weaknesses. I'm going to focus on the strength and the love of my God. As leaders, all of us, we should look to equip and empower and encourage those around us to use our gifts, to recognise our gifts. We should be giving one, one, one another confidence in our abilities, in all that we do. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not become weary doing good. When we do something good, no matter how big or how small it is, it gives us a a sense of satisfaction, a warmth. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's what we were made to do. We were created in God's image. We are made to, to do what Scripture tells us to do. And when we fulfil that, we, we feel it's right. We know it's right. There is something inside us that, that just we know it's right because we are made to serve God. We are made to follow his example. We are made to read Scripture and to say, how can I respond to that? of course there is is a warning that has to come with this sermon. I've told you all the good stuff so far and that's great. That is great and that is what we should focus on but with leadership comes responsibility and comes accountability. Philippians 2 verse 3 warns us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. We should never, never elevate ourselves above others. One of the things that I love about this church is that there is an attitude of of servant leadership. The elders of this church serve wholeheartedly. They go beyond wholeheartedly. They give up so much time and effort to serve this church. The trustees as well give up so much time and effort. They work so hard to do what they do. And there are so many other people that, that lead initiatives, that, that have a real heart to run certain ministries and certain groups. And that's amazing. That is brilliant. But we should always make sure that we bear in mind we do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing because we want a title or want a position, Nothing because we want attention or want the plaudits. We do it because we are serving God. In humility, we consider others better than ourselves. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James chapter 3, verse 1. Good news and bad news, isn't it? Double honour for those who serve well. Strict judgment for those who teach. We should bear that in mind, always. I was at a, com- a conference um, a couple of months ago and um, there were some sort of contentious issues being discussed and a minister from another church a long way away stood up and said, I would accept anybody into church membership. Anybody can come into the church regardless of who they are and what they, what they believe because I believe that God eventually will transform them and one day I'm going to stand up and be judged and I don't want Jesus to say to me you got that wrong and because of you all these people weren't saved. And I thought that's dangerous. That is dangerous. Because there are some things that scripture is, is very specific about. There are some things where we, we have to say, look, this might, not, this might not be in line with what society says, but it's in line with Scripture. And as a church, we must stay faithful to Scripture. You see, sometimes we have to say, no, actually, before you can, before you can become part of, of the body of Christ, the church, you have, to, you have to show a willingness to become that. We can't just open doors and say to everybody, look, look, Don't worry about it. Whatever life you're leading, carry on. There's no need to change. Instead, we have to introduce them to the goodness, the wholeness, the love of God's word and of God's son. As leaders, we must remember those who lead well, there is double honour, but there is also strict judgment. We cannot be flippant in Christian leadership. We have to be strong even when that means making decisions that don't please people. We have to to do what what we feel is right by scripture. We have to listen to the advice and the counsel of all those around us and never elevate ourselves above that level, thinking that, that we know better because we don't and we'll very quickly become unstuck. Our goal is to worship God by serving others. And if we can do that without getting snared in the the traps and temptations that are are lying around us, then we will receive that double honour. We will do a good job. We will lead people to Christ. And that is what we're all about. I just want to finish by reading from another book this morning. This is called The Audacity of Hope. And it was a book that um, was written by Barack Obama. It came out, I think, shortly before he was elected president. But there's a chapter on here um, called Faith. And he's talking, about, he's talking about his impression of the church growing up. For one thing, I was drawn to the power of the African-American religious tradition to spur social change. Out of necessity, the black church had to minister to the whole person. Out of necessity, the black church rarely had the luxury of separating individual salvation from collective salvation. It had to serve as the centre of the community's political, economic and social, as well as spiritual life. It understood, in an intimate way, the biblical call to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and challenge powers and principalities. In the history of these struggles, I was able to see faith as more than just a comfort to the weary or a hedge against death. Rather, it was an active, palpable agent in the world. In the day-to-day work of the men and women I met in church each day, in their ability to make a way out of no way and maintain hope and dignity in the direst of circumstances, I could see the word made manifest. What a great testimony for someone to give about a church. Through the way that the church, the individuals in the church, lived their lives and conducted themselves, Someone on the periphery was able to look and say, I can see the word made manifest. We believe in the goodness and the greatness of the gospel and we need to live out lives that represent that, that that show that, that reflect and demonstrate every aspect of it so that when people look at us, they will see that goodness, they will see what is attractive and they too will be drawn in to the kingdom. By endurance we conquer, but conquer we will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word, and Lord, thank you for the gift of leadership that you have bestowed on so many people here today. And Father, even if we look around and we say, well, I'm not a leader, help us, Lord, to think of all those in our lives who at some point have looked up to us, whether they're they're friends, neighbours, children, grandchildren, colleagues, whoever they happen to be. Father, at some point, every single one of us will have been a leader, a role model, an example to follow for someone. And Father, we pray that those opportunities to lead will, carry, will continue to be presented to us and that we can continue to recognise them and to make sure that, that when we have these opportunities, we can show leadership, we can show a positive face of the Christian faith, Lord, because we know that we are standing for you. In every situation, in every conversation, everything that we do is focused on you. You are our God. You are living and active around us. You bless us every day. You use us. But Lord, we know, we know that it's down to us to choose to follow you. So Lord, help us to do that, we pray. Help us to be the the most effective Christians that we can be, wherever you've placed us in life. Help us to serve you, to serve each other, and to do our part in building your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.